You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. All right, we still have a few that are going to be making their way in and grabbing seats, but uh, we want to go ahead and get started. If you're visiting with us, we want to welcome you. First time visitors, for sure, we want to welcome you uh, being with our church this morning. Um, This is a special morning for us. We do these every uh, five or six weeks. We call it Application Sunday. It is a time where we extend our fellowship. So normally we would have started at 1030, uh, but today we had breakfast being served and just extended time to talk and hang out and get to know one another, that type of thing. So uh, that's part of Application Sunday. And then instead of a new sermon, we go back over our last five or six sermons briefly with a um, direct attention being given to the application of those sermons. So we're going to do that today. So if you're visiting with us, this is a great chance to get caught up on where we've been over the last five weeks or so as we look back over those sermons. But then also uh, we're going to be directly applying that in some ways for our church family uh, coming up here at the end of the service too. Um, so we're excited about doing that. Um, it's, it's good to be back with you guys today. Um, most of you know by now that uh, we had one of our church members killed uh, a week ago um, in a car accident, and we have been in a grieving process throughout this week, and we were able to have Andrew's uh, funeral yesterday, and just so grateful and thankful for the way that the Lord orchestrated everything that took place. Um, parking wasn't an issue. We had plenty of seats for everybody, um, and so just so thankful for everybody that worked so hard this week to serve in that capacity. We had people doing all kinds of things yesterday to make sure that that was um, done well for family and friends. And we had a lot of unbelievers here yesterday that were able to hear the gospel. And so I'm thankful for that. And uh, just continue to pray for the Hagman family um, in that grieving process. And we'll do so at the end of our service today as well. But um, certainly thankful for the way that the Lord has carried us uh, through this week. Let me pray for us to get us started. And then we'll jump right into um, looking at the last few weeks sermons. Lord, we love you and praise you and thank you for the time that we have together this morning. We thank you for the fellowship that we've already enjoyed. Um, Lord, we thank you for those that are visiting with us today. Um, Lord, I pray that they would uh, experience you in our service, Lord, experience encouragement. Um, Lord, I pray that uh, we would do a faithful job of pointing everyone in this room to you today, um, the hope that we have in you and the resurrection. Um, God, thank you for giving us Uh, celebrations like Easter last week where our attention is um, intentionally drawn to the resurrection. But Lord, remind us that every week when we gather on a Sunday, we are doing so because Jesus is alive and well, uh, and that started on a Sunday. And so God, we thank you for the reasons for meeting today. And uh, God, as we look back into your word, as we remind ourselves of things that you've been teaching us, Lord, help us to see that that concept of remembrance has been interwoven in these last few chapters of Exodus. Um, God, you've been challenging your people to remember. And so, God, we set aside time today to remember. And so, Lord, help us to remember well, uh, but Lord, not just so that we can recall, but so that we can really move forward applying what you've been teaching us. And uh, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you are visiting with us, uh, we are in the book of Exodus. We've been in the book of Exodus now for a few months, and we have been working through Uh, the story of God's people in the Old Testament and kind of seeing how that correlates to us as his people in the New Testament. Um, We have been in the plagues and that's kind of settled down and slowed down a bit because there's a lot of tension given to this last plague, the 10th plague. And so that's kind of where our focus has been 
uh, most recently. But if you have your Bibles, you can open and turn to Exodus chapter 9. Exodus chapter 9. Over the past five or six weeks, we have covered those final four plagues. So we looked at uh, God bringing hail. He brought um, the darkness. He brought locusts. And he brought the, the death of the firstborn. And we want to draw our attention to Exodus chapter 9, verse 13. And it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. We see that, that the, the plagues start to amp up here, right? That um, God is going to bring uh, increased judgment on the Egyptians because of Pharaoh's stubbornness, because of his um, desires to hang on to God's people, to keep them serving him versus releasing them to serve Yahweh. Um, and so God increases the judgments over this final set of plagues. Our summary sentence from several weeks ago, while the plagues were meant to bring judgment God also made provision for escape, calling people to turn to him for shelter from his wrath with the goal of his salvation's becoming captivating storytelling for generations to come. While the plagues were meant to bring judgment, God also made provision for escape, calling people to turn to him for shelter from his wrath with the goal of his salvation's becoming captivating storytelling for generations to come. We won't take the time to read through this entire section, but this week we taught through verses uh, chapter 9, verse 13, all the way through chapter 10. So there's a lot of content there uh, that is worth reminding ourselves about. So I'd encourage you to go back and read through some of that this week. But you'll remember in this section of Scripture, as the, the hail and the, the locusts and the darkness are coming, um, intertwined in that is God's desire for salvation. He's certainly going to spare his own people. And so he gives communication to, to Pharaoh about how uh, the Israelites in Goshen aren't going to experience this. But then he also gives instructions to the Egyptians for how they can be spared themselves, right? Up to this point, they had kind of just been subjected to these plagues with, uh, with, without really any way of escape. But here, God gives some communication that if they want to be spared from this hail, they can bring all their livestock and all their people into shelter to be guarded against it. Um, and then in this as well, God's communicating a desire for his people to pay attention to what's happening around them, to make mental notes, to make mental recordings of how God is being good to them so they can then tell the coming generations about it, right? So as they're raising up their children, God's saying, hey, I want you to have good storytelling to give to them, right? Like I want you to be telling them of what I've done, right? Not relying just strictly on false stories and fairy tales that are entertaining, but to be able to say, here's what our God has done for us. Here, how I, here is how our God has been faithful and how he has saved us over the years. We talked about taking shelter in Yahweh, that he is our place of refuge. He's our place of shelter. He's our place of peace, that he warns of this, ju this coming judgment and challenges us with, will we be protected from it? Right? This, is, this is leading up to that great judgment that comes on Passover night. The idea that if we're going to be spared from God's rightful judgment, we've got to come underneath him. We've got to come into him. We've got to be spared. If we want to be spared, we've got to come to him 
for that protection. Not only do we take shelter in Yahweh, we tell stories of Yahweh. We tell stories of this God of the Old Testament who further reveals himself in the New Testament. Right? We tell stories of him. They're meant to be told as a way of equipping the next generation for what's next. Each new generation needs to learn the faithful acts of God in the past to help them endure the new struggles they will face today. So we've been talking about that, how um, God's faithfulness to carry his people in the past, the more we study that, the more we know that, it helps us to experience his provision in the present. When we go through similar cases of trials and tribulations and difficulties where maybe we would be tempted to doubt God's goodness, to question God's purposes and plans, but to be able to say, hey, God has to be working here. God has to be doing something here because he's always shown himself to be that type of God, right? Um, we, we can experience some of those truths ourselves as we go through trials and tribulations and we see God's faithfulness. And then our kids need to know that too, right? So it's about putting our kids into uh, an awareness and a knowledge of what God has done in scripture, but then also tying it into what God has done to our family, Right? Present day, how has God continued to show himself faithful to his people? Well, we've got stories that we can tell even now of how God is being faithful to individual families in our church and to our church family as a whole. God says, I want you to tell stories. I want you to recount these things to the, to the next generation so they'll know me, so they'll know who I am, so they'll know what I've done. Why? So they will turn to me, so they will be drawn to me, so they will strive to be obedient to me. This is where God's attention is is given, and he's drawing his people to him through this type of communication. Um, Let's see, in Exodus chapter 10, let's look at um, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart. Remember coming out of the the hail experience, uh, Pharaoh wanted to negotiate. Like, hey, I'll I'll be obedient in some ways, but I'm still going to hang on to the people. God keeps bringing plagues. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. He says, pass this on to the next generation. Pass this on to your sons and daughters. Let them see how I've been faithful to provide. Tell stories. Stories of what he has done are meant to give us motivation to now obey him and to do for him. And then lastly, we talked about turning our hearts to Yahweh, that true confession leads to complete obedience moving forward, not negotiating how we will be obedient, right? We said to come to Christ is to declare that there is no command we will not keep, no sin we will not forsake, no duty we will not perform, and no talent we will not employ in our ambition to give all the glory to God. This is what we're called to uh, when we're called to be obedient, to give it all to Him, wholeheartedness to Him as we seek to serve. The application from this week was, do I take regular shelter in Jesus by turning my heart to Him in faithful obedience in all the known ways while letting the stories of his faithfulness in times past keep me persevering in moments when I'm prone to question or doubt his actions. Do I take shelter in Jesus, right? Do I, do I seek to be faithfully obedient in all the known ways that have been shown to me that this is what God desires? And then do I allow the stories of his faithfulness in the past to keep me persevering in the present? 
when I'm prone to question or doubt his actions. This is what the plagues teach us. It's what God would have us to see in the book of Exodus as we continue to move forward. We looked at Exodus chapter 11 the following week as the final plague gets introduced. The idea that this death plague is coming, that the firstborn are going to be taken, and that God is going to spare his people if if they follow his instructions to turn their attention to a substitute, right? We said in chapter 11, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. What's communicated there? Well, that God's deliverance is finally coming. Right? That it's finally coming. They've been in bondage for 400 plus years. They've been wondering, when is deliverance going to come? When is the the hope of the promises made to Abraham? When is he going to deliver? Right? When is that going to happen? God communicates to Moses now. Now, in my perfect timing, it is about to happen now. This final plague will deliver my people. Man, we're probably prone to ask ourselves sometimes, when is Jesus coming? Right? He promised it. He said he was going to come. We're not looking at 400 years. We're looking at 2,000 plus years that we've been waiting. We can trust that in his perfect timing, he is going to come. We saw in this chapter that God's goodness is distinctly experienced by his people. Through the specific timing of his deliverances, the intentional ways he provides, sometimes even through lost people, and the particular sufferings he prohibits in our lives. We talked about finding hope in God's sovereign goodness, that he controls the end of our suffering. He controls the end of our suffering. He knows our suffering. He cares about our suffering. He's working in our suffering. He will ultimately win a victory in our suffering too. He tells his people this, that They've been suffering, they've been mistreated, they've, they've been in bondage, and, and they've, they've been in, in slavery, and now he's going to rescue them. He's going to save them because the timing has become right. We talked about finding reassurance in God's everywhere goodness. We said that his everywhere goodness is, is God's willingness to work good in the hearts of lost people to benefit his people, that it points us to God. You've probably experienced this where you're, you're interacting. We talked about this extensively when we, when we were looking at this sermon, how God uses unbelievers sometimes to, to work good for his children. That that's part of the ways that he shows grace to us as his people. How's he showing that to the Israelites? He says, I'm going to work in the evil Egyptian hearts who worship all these false gods. I'm going to turn their hearts to you. So that in your time of need, you're about to exit Egypt, you're about to be your own nation, and you're dirt poor, right? Like you're just broke because you've been in slavery and you got nothing. And you're about to leave and go into the wilderness and you've got nothing to your name. You've been working hard for years and you've got nothing. He says, the Egyptian hearts are going to be turned to you and they're going to give you all their stuff on the way out. That doesn't make sense. Like that that doesn't register for us. Like why would they do that? Like, what was the motivation? And I told you, like, when we were studying this, like, there's not a great reason for why they would do this beyond that they were just ready for them to leave. But hey, they're leaving whether they have silver or gold or not. This is just tack on bonus. And it can be attributed to the ways that God works in their hearts. It's it's interesting, like, after studying this, 
um, I think I've seen this kind of playing itself out this week. So as, as the deacons and the elders have been um, ministering to Taylor and Elliot and their family in the midst of their grief this week, you know, Taylor and Andrew have uh, unbelieving family members that we've had a chance to get to know. Um, one in particular stands out to me because of the, the kindness and the love and the attention that he has given to Taylor, um, just, just really caring for her this week, to the point that several of us have debated on the ride home, you think that guy's a believer? Like, he sure acts like a believer. Like, the ways that he's acting, like, that doesn't seem, that doesn't seem natural. It seems supernatural, right? Like, so we've kind of debated that. Well, um, all uh, questioning about that was removed yesterday when he told one of our deacons that he is definitely not a believer, definitely not a believer. And you hear that and you're like, wow. Like, and we talked about it when we looked at this, that sometimes there are people who act like believers better than believers sometimes, right? And, and we might be prone to question like, well, maybe that just throws everything out the door. Like maybe, maybe, the, maybe this whole idea of like the Holy Spirit indwelling believers and supernaturally working for them, maybe that should just get thrown out if we've got unbelievers who sometimes do a better job than believers. And I told you, no, this is just an example of how much God loves his people, that he can use unbelievers to work good in their life, right? We stood Taylor up yesterday and I said, hey, you look around at all these people in this room, right? Your spouse has been taken from you. He's provided for your family. He has cared for your family and he is now gone. And I told her at the hospital, I said, you will not have a shortage of help going forward in your life. You've got, you've got people from all directions that are going to help take care of you. And so I stood her up and we just kind of panned the room and I said, look at all these people that are here today for Andrew. These people are going to help take care of you in, in all kinds of forms and fashions. And I didn't say, look around and see if you can identify who the Christians are, because that's where the real help's going to come from, right? Like, I didn't have to say that. Why? Because God uses unbelievers for good purposes in the life of his children too. That, that's a grace of God. That is a grace of God that, that he can work and move in sinful, depraved, unregenerate, no Holy Spirit anywhere near at heart, right? He can take that heart and say, you know what? Holy Spirit's going to work and move, maybe not for salvation purposes yet, but certainly for good purposes towards my children. He does that in the Egyptian hearts. We can be grateful and thankful that as God's children, as we navigate through life, right? And sometimes we're going through trials and difficulties and we're wondering, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord and it will come in some of the most unique ways in the most needed times, right? God works and moves. He's where our help comes from. He helps his children here. He's a good God, which means, number three, we can find peace in his distinctive goodness. He treats us distinctly different. He tells Pharaoh, I'm going to treat my people differently. While that death angel is going to come, it's not going to touch my people. He says in verse 4, So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle, there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And God treats us differently as his children. He treats us differently. Which means that whatever our lot is 
it's intentionally better with him than it would be without him. Doesn't mean that he always protects us from certain circumstances. Just means that he's with us in those circumstances. He shelters us from what we need to be sheltered from, right? He takes care of us in a distinct way, in a distinctly different way. We can hope in that. Whatever we encounter, we can know is always for good purposes. Without him, we would have no assurance of purpose in our life. The application was to look for the ways that God is working good rather than focusing on the ways you feel he is not. We then looked at chapter 12 where the Passover uh, begins to be discussed, the, uh, the stipulations for the Passover and how the Passover is to play out. We said the Passover is a defining moment in salvation history, not just for Israel, but for us too, right? We're not Israelites, but we look back to this and we see that it's a defining moment because God's act of passing over his people lays the further groundwork needed for our understanding of why a substitute is needed for us to escape the coming wrath of God as well. That foundation was initially laid right at the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, right? We know that Adam and Eve sinned. Um, they deserve death. But in the, in the midst of God passing judgment and having discussions with Satan, with Adam and with Eve, we know that he takes the life of an animal. We know that animal's blood is shed instead. We know that the animal's skin is used to cover them temporarily from his wrath. That's, that's, their, that's their first interaction with God in the midst of their sin. He's communicating substitute. We see this further. Even though Genesis is full of God's people offering sacrifices, we see this further when the, when the death angel is going to come through that a substitute is needed if they're going to be spared. It's a defining moment because it helps us to see how, how things are going to be different if we turn our attention to this substitute. Notice what he says in verse 1 of chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the neighbor of, number of persons according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take him from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. This month, it's a beginning of months. It's a, it's a new day for them. It will be the first month of the year for them. Things are changing. Things are being reoriented because of salvation that's coming to them. We talked about how salvation reorients our own life. New beginnings, new celebrations. Now, it was interesting to see because we know that Andrew's only been a Christian for uh, the past five years. And so yesterday, as we gathered for his funeral, he had friends from his past and friends from his present. And those friends look differently, right? They act differently. They believe differently. And, and to see the sphere of influence that he had and the, the impact he was making because, man, I've heard so many stories of, of Andrew's faithfulness to tell unbelievers in his life about Jesus. Like that's been kind of a consistent theme is that he was constantly going back to his previous life and telling them about his new life. And I'm sure it was shocking for some of these people who came in yesterday and heard uh, individual after individual from our church who have only known him, only known him for five years or less, talk about the knowledge of who he is now. His life was completely reoriented. He was totally different than the life he had been living previously. And we got to testify of that yesterday. That salvation reorients our life. It reoriented the Israelites' life too. God says, you've got something new happening now. 
Salvation redirects our attention to a substitute. You continue to read through this passage and we're reminded about how the lamb was to be slaughtered. The blood was to be spread on the doorpost. They were to fix their eyes on this substitute, not on themselves. The Israelites were going to have to put their faith in action. Their eyes were going to have to be basing or were going to have to be placed on the blood of the substitute, not on their own good works, not on their own bloodlines. Wasn't going to be okay for them to, to just sleep through the night because they were an Israelite. Being a Hebrew wasn't going to save them that night. Being a, a person from a Christian home doesn't save us when we stand before God, right? It's putting our eyes on a substitute, Jesus being the ultimate substitute. The foundation for our understanding of that is laid even further here with the Passover. He gives meticulous details for how this is to be played out. We talked about that extensively that week. We talked about how application-wise is our life meticulously marked by faithful readiness to obey God and His Word. Right? They had to obey these things specifically to be spared that night. Do we take that same approach to our own studies in God's Word? When we see God's Word calling us to do things and to be certain things, do we see that? Do we respond to it like we should? Exodus chapter 12, verses 14 through 28. We talked about the uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread. Kind of piggybacks off the Passover night celebration. We said we're to remember how God has worked in the past and how God has promised to work in the future by following through with obedience in the present while using festivals and fellowship to fight our tendencies to forget. We continue to see the remembering piece being so important, right? Like God's telling them, hey, we're going to have this Passover. It's going to spare you from judgment tonight. And then you're going to have this feast of unleavened bread where you don't eat any leavened bread. And then we're going to do this every year. We're going to come back to it and do it again. Not because the death angel is going to come through every year and you're going to have to spare yourself by putting the blood on the doorpost. No, we're just going to do it every year so that you never forget we did it. So that you're never going to forget that God saved you that night. And so that when children come along who weren't there that night and you're doing this weird celebration to them where it's like, why are we doing this, Dad? Mom, why are we doing this? And God saved us. He spared us. He didn't have to, but he did. It's part, of, it's part of why God gives us the Lord's Supper that we'll partake of today. Because that too ought to conjure questions from unbelievers who maybe stumble in here one day, but also from children who watch their family's faith get expressed in this way. Mom, Dad, why do we do this? Why do we drink juice and why do we eat bread every few weeks at church? What's the significance of that? What's the meaning of that? Right? I explain it every week. Every week that we do it, I explain it, but more interaction needed, is needed from you at home to, to teach your kids, why do we do it this way? What's the significance of it? God gives us these things so that we'll remember the Passover, the unleavened bread feast. It was to help them remember. He wanted them to never forget their exodus, their salvation from Egypt. We talked about how we fight, we fight our own forgetfulness when we follow through. When we listen well, we obey quickly we do what God calls us to. That's what they were challenged to do here. There were some instructions given to them. You got to get the leaven out of your house. You got to prepare to celebrate this feast. We talked about that we do that in the New Testament by hearing God's word taught, and then we respond quickly to follow through with it. We talked about the significance of festivals, the fellowship piece, the, the, the celebration piece. We celebrated Easter last week. It's a great time of celebration to remember the resurrection, but the resurrection we celebrate every Sunday, or we should. So we actually, uh, maybe we're more forgetful um, in the New Testament because, you know, we take the Lord's Supper not once a year. We take it every few weeks. 
right? We want to we point our, our attention to the resurrection, not just on Easter, but every week, right? We don't ever forget what God has done for us. Um, Christmas, like there's, there's so many opportunities throughout the year for us to celebrate intentionally and to remember intentionally. You guys know that our family has the tradition of going to gravesides at Easter time and remembering who our family members are, pointing our kids to the fact that we have a hope in their resurrection. We talked about how because Andrew was buried in Griffin in the same cemetery as my great-grandmother, she's who we're supposed to go visit next year. So our intention is to visit my granny Griffin in Griffin at her cemetery at her graveside and then to, to make our way down to Andrew's grave and to talk about his own resurrection too. And so I gathered, Lauren and I gathered our kids yesterday before we left the graveside and I said, kids, like I want you to remember today what did we do today? We laid Andrew's body to rest, and we talked about that. And, and we intentionally took them to the graveside yesterday. So they weren't at the funeral. My mother-in-law was keeping them. And then we picked them up, and I said, I told Lauren, I said, I want them to go to the graveside. Why? Because we're going to that graveside in a year. And I want them to remember the day that we put Andrew in that ground. And I want them to remember every day going forward that he's coming back from there. He's coming back out of the ground when Jesus comes back, right? These are opportunities that we take to point our kids to Jesus, opportunities to celebrate in the midst of grieving that this isn't the end. This is what God's giving to his people as he creates this nation, ways to celebrate differently that will help them to remember. But he also tells them to assemble, to assemble at the beginning of the week, at the end of the week for accountability purposes. He says, it's not just up to you to remember, you're going to need help in remembering. And so he talks about them having fellowship in their life, people that they can assemble with. And we've talked about how the assembling culture is needed in the church, that not just on Sundays, but we need these pockets of time where we gather with other men and other women, whether it's through the church calendar that we have set up, or we have small groups and D groups that happen with our men and women, or whether you've created your own assembling culture where maybe Maybe your work calendar doesn't work for our church calendar, but you've got men or women that you intentionally gather with in your life. We need that to help remember. We're prone to forget. We're prone to forget God's faithfulness. We're prone to despair when trials and difficulties hit us. We need sometimes other people in our life to point us back to his faithfulness. God gives his people instruction to do that. Our application was to, to prioritize those gathering opportunities to make sure they're happening in our life. Exodus chapter 12, verse 29 through 32. The 10th plague happens. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn. This is in verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up. Go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks, your herds, as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. We said that God has clearly warned us of his coming justice and has given us clear instructions for how to prepare, making it possible for us to wait confidently through the night as we wait for his certain victory in the morning. There's this warning of justice that's coming. It's forewarned so that we can prepare for it, we in the New Testament have such a benefit of being able to look back and see all of these judgments of God, all of these accountings of God to point us to think about coming judgment for ourselves. Even Andrew's death, while, while he entered into Christ's presence yesterday, 
because his eyes were certainly, not yesterday, but when he died, but yesterday we celebrated, his eyes were fixed on Jesus, right? But his, his, his death and his funeral yesterday, those are meant to, to draw our attention to the fact that, hey, that day's coming for us too, right? That, that one day we're going to stand before him and we're going to give an account. And it's a reminder for us to be aware that, hey, life is moving in that direction and we're not going to escape it. We're not going to escape it. His justice is forewarned. His justice is certain, which also protects us from craving justice ourselves. That's one of the conversations I had uh, with Taylor as she was kind of processing through um, the, the other driver and the accident and just, you know, feelings that she has about that situation. And I told her, I said, um, Taylor, what you can trust is that justice will happen. Justice will happen. You don't have to worry about how that plays out in our legal system and what ramifications and punishments come. I said, for one, it'll never bring Andrew back, right? Like, like you'll, you'll, there'll, there'll never be an earthly system of justice that will restore what you've lost in this situation. Um, I said, you know, the enemy and, and a vindicative heart may creep up to where you want like something to happen. And I said, there's, there's a right feeling in that. We want justice when, when things have not gone the way that they should, right? Um, but I assured her, I said, hey, there's coming a day where justice will be served appropriately, right? That individual will have to give an account, not just for that incident, but, but for their whole life. And I said, Taylor, you can take comfort in the fact that Andrew was ready to be with Jesus, and that individual maybe isn't. And I said, so you can trust that justice will still happen one day, um, or justice will be retroactive to the cross for that individual if that individual becomes a believer, if that individual gets saved, I said, you will be able to rejoice that you and her and Andrew can experience an incredible reunion in heaven, right? Where we can say, hey, Andrew's death was not in vain. This individual, God got a hold of that person's life and saved and saved that individual and, and justice was served on the cross, right? And so we talked through that and, and we can talk through that. Why? Because God's justice is certain, it will happen. It's non-discriminatory. All types of people are impacted by his justice. It's equitable. We're judged by what we do with his word, right? We're spared if we do what he says and we point our eyes to the substitute. That's what Israel was told. If you will point your eyes to the substitute, you'll be spared that night. But if not, you too will endure what the Egyptians get. His justice is victorious. Pharaoh's been that antagonist, the whole story that we've been looking at, and he's finally put in a position where he has to concede. God wins the victory. God wins the victory, and we can take comfort in that. And then last week, we looked at on Easter Sunday what we call dark nights ending with victorious mornings. Throughout Scripture, we're reminded that dark nights end with victorious mornings, providing the hope we need that when darkness is real for now, God's sovereignty, His providence, and His coming victory remain real too. I told you that Taylor had asked me, like, what's, you know, is this real? Am I really losing my husband? Like, is this really happening right now? And I told her, I said, it is real for right now, but there's a whole lot more that's real too. There's a whole lot more that's real too, right? And we talked last week about how God's salvation over sin and slavery and death, it's real in the Old Testament. We talked about the historical account of the Exodus, how Moses wrote in such a way like he was an eyewitness account, like he was a reporter, and here's what happened, and here's what happened, and here's what happened that it wasn't a spiritual freedom that they achieved. It was a physical account, a historical account of uh, thousands and thousands and probably into the millions of people leaving Egypt victoriously. 
We talked about the resurrection of Jesus being a historical account too. We talked about the eyewitnesses who saw Jesus alive, right? The people that he interacted with, the people's lives that were changed. We talked about the empty tomb. This is a historical event too. That's what's real. We remember what's real. That, 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 that those historical accounts mean something for us, right? Yes, Jesus is alive and well today, but he's not just an individual who rose from the dead. He's a substitute who died in our place and rose on our behalf. And the Lord's Supper keeps us remembering that. And we'll get to celebrate that again today. We also talked about our need to relay this to others. Remember we talked about the weird passage here about uh, the redemption of firstborns, right? That Egypt had to sacrifice their firstborns, their animals and their, and, their, and their firstborn children. Those were taken that night. When the children of Israel get into the promised land, they're told to offer their firstborns to God, but not their firstborn children. Right? Remember we talked about the unclean animals, the donkey. You couldn't sacrifice a donkey to God who was a firstborn because they were unclean. You had to sacrifice a lamb in, on behalf of that unclean animal. And you also had to offer a lamb on behalf of your unclean son or daughter. That when he said, give me your firstborn, he didn't want our unclean firstborns. We're born into sin. He said, you can't give me your firstborn because it's dirty, it's sinful. You give me a lamb in its place to redeem that child back to you. Again, pointing us to the picture that Christ was going to be our substitute. Christ was going to be the one who stands in the gap for us. They had a dark night that night. A lot of death around them. They would have heard the screams from Egypt probably as family after family after family was impacted by death. But the sun rose the next morning and they walked out in victory. They walked out in victory. The disciples would have despaired for, for several nights in the loss of their Savior. They would have seen Christ die on the cross, not remembering that he had predicted his own resurrection. They fell into despair and they're grieving and they're sad and they're unsure of what the future looks like. And then that Sunday morning came and Jesus had walked out victoriously, right? Um, it's the same thing that, that the Israelites experience here. Dark nights turning to victorious mornings. And we too can trust that in our darkest of nights now, trials and challenges and difficulties that we experience, we can trust that the victorious mornings are coming too. All right? There'll, there'll come a day where, where, where Taylor's uh, okay. And she'll be able to look back in, on this because of her faith. And I told her that. I said, you know, uh, she's going to figure out how to, how, to, how to live in this new normal because of her faith. I have full, I have full confidence in that. Um, she's going to, I think she'll see purposes in this. Maybe not as clearly as we'll see them in heaven one day, but, but she'll see it. And there's other things that we're going through as, as church family right now. Other dark nights that we're having to kind of walk through. And we can trust that victorious mornings are coming as well. We can trust that God's going to be good to us through it all. He's going to bring goodness to us in some of the unlikeliest ways, probably. He'll use lost people if necessary to, to work good in our life. We can trust him with that. As we do on every application Sunday, I give you uh, a couple of points to remember because that was a whole lot of content. I mean, we just went through six sermons in less than 30 minutes. So a um, whole lot of content right there. What do we need to remember from the last couple of weeks? And then what do we need to do? What's some direct application, some real things that we can do as a church family? Three things to remember. Three things to remember, because you're going to forget a whole lot of this. Three things to remember. Number one, remembering God's faithful acts is important. Right? So remember that remembering is important. Remember God's faithful acts is important. 
both for your own growth and the future growth of those entrusted to your care. Remembering is important. Remembering his faithful acts, both in what we study in Scripture, but then also what we experience in our own lives. Remembering those things is important so that you'll continue to grow when you need to look back and see God's faithfulness so that you can trust his faithfulness right now, but also so you can pass that on to others who haven't experienced his faithfulness personally yet to be able to say, hey, it's coming because it's always come to his people. Number two, teaching our children about our faith is one of the most important things we're called to do. Teaching our children about our faith is one of the most important things we are called to do. And let me say this applies to everybody in this room, whether you have your own kids or not. Right? Part of what it means to be a part of a local church, Jesus talks about this because he knew that some people were going to give up earthly family to be a part of the spiritual family. Right? They were going to be they were going to be called to salvation and their family members weren't going to be a part of that. They weren't going to come and it was going to cause division and separation and he says, "Hey, I'm going to I'm going to increase your family through the local church." Right? I'm I'm going to give you I'm going to give you moms and dads and kids and, and like you're going to have opportunities to serve by being a part of the local church. And so, this applies to everybody whether you have your own kids or not. There is a responsibility in this church for us to teach our children collectively about our faith. It's one of the most important things we're called to do. And it's been a running theme through these last couple of chapters. And then number three, God treats his children differently than the rest of the world because of how he chose to treat his son on our behalf. We don't want to lose that. He treats us differently. Doesn't mean that we don't lose our spouses. Doesn't mean that we don't get cancer. Doesn't mean that that we're exempt from certain things. No, it just means that he treats us differently in those dark times. He treats us distinctly different because we are his children. And it's because he chose to treat his son differently. He he chose to treat him as our substitute. Because he's our substitute, we can be his children, and he can treat us with goodness. Not because we're good, but because his son's good. That's what we'll celebrate with the Lord's Supper today. That that piece of bread or or whatever it is, um, that represents his body, his perfect body, that was broken and given for us, his perfect life that was sacrificed for us. Remember, remembering is important. Remember that teaching our children is important. Remember that God treating his children differently is something that we need to carry us through dark times. What do we do? What do we do with that? Number one, make sure you have a method in place for recording what God is teaching you so you can reference for yourself and pass on to others. I don't know what that is, right? We try to give you easy notes to take on a Sunday morning. Um, we've tried to equip you through our D groups for how to study scripture on your own. I mean, you got to have some type of method that you can record what God's teaching you so that you can reference back to it yourself because you're going to need to remember, right? But then so you can teach others too. There's a lot of different ways you can do that, all right? Um, a lot of different ways that you can record that. And, and if you don't know how to do that, then you can, seek, you can seek me out, and I'll try to give you some direction to, to pair you up some with somebody that can help you with that. But recording what God has taught you over the years, you need to remember yourself. You need to be able to pass that on to others. And so I would encourage you, and as a point of application, to think through, what's my method of recording what God's teaching me so that I can encourage myself down the road and I can teach others? Number two, be involved in helping foster the spiritual growth of South Hope children. It's for everybody, right? And there's ways to do that here. 
and none of them are insignificant. All right, we're always looking for our members to, to be a part of our, our nursery ministry. Uh, we, we've just now created a security ministry in our, in our nursery building because of the way our building is configured now, where we've got individuals serving on our security so that the, the people that are keeping the nursery can do so confidently and with peace, right? Um, we're, we're, teaching, we're teaching our kids in nursery, right? So part of the, the change that's happened is we now have a space where they're eating a snack and getting a Bible lesson as part of the nursery care. Why? Because they're important. They're part of our church, right? They're not a nuisance. They're not something that we have to find somebody to take care of. They're the next generation that needs to know them, right? And, and part of serving in nursery is allowing the parents to be in here so they can hear, so they can know, so they can pass it on to them. It's a great ministry to be a part of, our nursery, our security, our kids club on Wednesday nights. Lauren does a great job of, of organizing that, but we're always in need of workers and backup workers because things happen that, that draw people away where they can't be there. Our kids club, such an important time during the month where we're, where we're teaching our kids catechism and we're teaching them memory verses and we're encouraging them to know God and his word. Our youth need people pouring into them. Right? We don't have the, the big buildings and, and resources to where we can throw some big you know, weekly event that they want to come to all the time. The thing that ought to separate us is the relationships that they can have with adults in our, in our church. And, and our, and our um, youth workers have done a great job of cultivating that over the years, where we've had learning burns, where we have uh, bonfires, and we invite men from our church to come pour into the men in, in, our, in our youth group. And we've done similar things with our girls. And man, there's opportunities to be involved in that. But then just building general relationships with our kids. Just building general relationships with our kids. Like uh, Rob Turner yesterday talked about the, the relationships that his kids had with Andrew. And that wasn't because Andrew was working in the nursery or kids club or anything like that. It's just because Andrew took an active interest in the lives of his kids. All of us can do that here in our church. All of us can invest in the next generation by building relationships with the kids in your C group, right? They're running around not just here on Sundays, but when we try to gather for small group. They're running around. They love to be talked to by adults, right? To build relationships with adults that can encourage them in their faith. And then lastly, be ready to be an extension of how God treats his people differently by preparing to serve several key member needs going forward. God treats his people differently. How does he do that? He uses people here on this earth as an extension of his care. We're going to have opportunities to care for Taylor and Elliot, um, We've got opportunities to care for Charles and Nadine as Nadine goes through this cancer journey. There's going to be other needs that come up and pop up that we want to care for, right? You get to be an extension of how God treats his people differently. I'm appealing to you to be a part of that, to be a part of that, to be a part of caring for these people. And it's not just financial care, right? There's all kinds of ways that they need care from us. We want to do that collectively and do it together. I will say that um, Ben, Bobby, and the other deacons have been working and having conversations. And one of the things that we do want to do is to uh, give you an opportunity to give if you want to, if you choose to, to give towards uh, some of Taylor's financial needs that will continue to pop up. Um, we've had member care funds over the years. Um, we rarely have to dip into that, right? And so that money's kind of built up into a savings account. Um, but this is kind of a unique situation, right? In the past, we've had people lose jobs and, and needed help and support for a period of time. But um, this is kind of a unique thing with the loss of Andrew. And so um, instead of just using those funds immediately and, and depleting some of that, 
um, we know there's going to be a desire for some of you to give directly to that. And so Ben's going to be communicating some ways to do that directly. If you want to give, we're going to have an account set up and then um, our deacons are going to kind of oversee that. Ben's meeting with her on Tuesday to kind of better assess where she's at and what she needs going forward and how we can help support her in that. So I encourage you to prayerfully consider how you can be a part of some of these needs. Um, Alex is going to continue to help us understand how we can serve Nadine as she's going through this cancer journey. What are some things that we can do to serve her and Charles? And so as those needs come up, keep in mind these sermons that we're looking at. God treats his people differently. How does he do that? He does that through his people. He does that through his people. All right, let's pray together, and then we'll partake of the Lord's Supper. God, we love you. We thank you and praise you that you are this type of God. We thank you that we can trust you in dark times. We thank you that you always provide and care for your people. We thank you that all of these things are true because you chose to provide a substitute. We didn't deserve your love. We didn't deserve your care. We certainly didn't earn it. God, thank you for doing all that was necessary so that it could be bestowed to us. You sent your son Jesus to be perfect. You sent your son Jesus to die in humility for us. You rose him from the dead three days later, showing that his sacrifice was accepted. God, help us to see that if we point our eyes to him, we can be saved. We can enter into relationship with you. We can be spared from all eternity, bearing your justice. We thank you for that. Help us to be faithful members that serve each other well here. Help us to be an extension of your care. Help us to remember the ways that you're caring for us. Lord, help us to faithfully pass it on to the next generation. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn your attention to 1 Corinthians 11. Hopefully you picked up um, the Lord's Supper elements on your way in as you grabbed a seat. If not, uh, Ben does have some available. If you just want to raise your hand, then he can get that to you. Um, the Lord's Supper here at Sovereign Hope is um, open to anybody who's a believer. Um, just as we learned in Exodus that the Passover uh, was not to be taken by, by those who were outside of the, the Hebrew believing community. It was not something that you just invited lost people to to partake. It was something that was for believers. And so um, we believe that believers partake of this. So we would ask that if you're a believer that you're invited to partake. Um, whether you're a member here of our church or not doesn't matter. Um, you're a part of the, the larger body of Christ, and so we encourage you to partake with us as we remember the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus today. Um, as we always read, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is an active way for us to remember what Christ has done for us. And so we get to celebrate that together today. It does not save us, right? It's important to note that by partaking of this, we are not saved. It doesn't keep us saved, doesn't make us more saved. Um, it is a way for us to express unity with each other, that collectively together we believe this and we're holding to this. Um, invite you to partake today, to take some time to pray there in your seat as Tyson plays over us, and then we're going to take some time to sing together in celebration of this. I um, encourage you to reflect upon what it is that we're doing. Don't just make this a, a religious habit that we do and just kind of blow through it. Use this as an opportunity to remember and to point your heart to Him. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the Word. 
For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.